You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. This episode of Locked On Bills is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thanks to our friends over at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. Happy Friday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. Today on the podcast, it'll be our typical Friday routine where I'll give you my leftover thoughts for the week. We'll talk to banged up Bills about the injury situation. I've got predictions for the game. And of course, my NFL draft prospects to watch on Saturday with an eye towards the Buffalo Bills. Tomorrow on the podcast, it is tailgate talk. And I'll be joined by Anthony Marino of Buffalo Rumblings. And I'm really looking forward to the conversation. I always enjoy talking football with Anthony. And I want to dig into the history between the Bills and Jaguars, and there's quite a bit, whether it's trading a first-round pick for Rob Johnson, the Marcus Stroud trade, the playoff loss in 2017, Jim Kelly's final game in 1996. There is a lot of history between these two teams, and I can't wait to reminisce on it with Anthony and, of course, talk about some of our prevailing thoughts for the game on Sunday. So don't miss it. Make sure that you are subscribed. Let's get into my leftover thoughts, and I legitimately have four leftover thoughts or four leftover items that I want to address here on the podcast. Number one, how about A.J. Epinesa getting credit for blocking a kick against Miami? The Jason Sanders miss, the very uncommon Jason Sanders miss, he's a really good kicker, was due to A.J. Epinesa getting a hand on the football, and originally we didn't know that. That became official on Wednesday, and... uh, Pretty cool that A.J. Epinesa gets credit for that. You know, blocking field goals is a big deal when you have long-armed guys. Gives you a better chance of doing it when you put an A.J. Epinesa and a Greg Rousseau-type player in there. You can block some kicks, and uh, I think that's a big deal. I think that that affects the mental makeup of opposing kickers, knowing that, oh, man, this guy blocked the kick last week, and so now i got to get that ball up just a little higher to make sure that It doesn't happen to me, and so I think it's a big deal, obviously, for the results of that field goal, but potentially for the results of future field goals because um, A.J. Epinesa actually blocked that kick and led to the miss. Number two is the trade deadline came, the trade deadline went, and the Bills did not make a deal, and I was glued to social media all day on Tuesday just waiting for something to happen, and I was reading your tweets, and A lot of you were hoping for a trade, and nothing happened. Now, the most common thing discussed, at least on social media, was the idea that the Bills could trade backup quarterback Mitchell Trubisky to the Saints or the Washington football team or some team out there that needs a quarterback, and the Bills would be able to get something back in return for him. And there was a part of me that said, well, if Brandon Bean can get a second-round pick, Okay, that sounds like it'd be a worthwhile trade-off. But the more I thought about it, the more I really didn't want anything to happen. And when we later found out that Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers quarterback, 
was going to miss Sunday's game because he's on the COVID list, right? He's got COVID. And it was a sobering reminder that this could be any team on any day. You never know when it's your turn. You never know when you're going to load up Twitter.com and see a notification on there that some critical player for the Bills won't be able to play this week because they got COVID. It's still a very real thing that exists in our world, and there are implications on the NFL and, of course, the Buffalo Bills. And the Bills have two guys this week get COVID. Two players on the practice squad, Jake Fromm and Tanner Gentry. So depth is so critical in the NFL right now. 17-game season, and the Bills are just not in that type of spot where they can say goodbye to players while simultaneously trying to do everything they can to have a roster able to go deep into the postseason. And so while I would have loved a potential second-round pick or something like that for Trubisky, I'd rather just have Trubisky and know that if something happens to Josh Allen, whether it's a injury or COVID, that the Bills are in good shape when it comes to filling in for the most important position in professional sports. The next thing I want to mention is a little perspective that I gained this week. We did a Locked On Podcast Network trade deadline show. It was a live show on YouTube, and I went on for like 15 minutes and talked about the Bills and where they fall into this overall NFL picture. And just before I went on, it was the Locked On Cardinals host and the Locked On Rams host, and they were talking about the NFL MVP race, and those Cardinals guys were pretty passionate about Kyler Murray and the claim that he has so far this season to the NFL MVP award and how much he means to the Cardinals. You could tell it was something that really mattered to them. And then it became my turn to talk about Josh Allen and the NFL MVP race. And I said, you know, it'd be great. It'd be really cool if Allen were to win the NFL MVP, but that's not the goal this year. The goal is to go win the Super Bowl. And if along the way Josh Allen becomes the MVP of the NFL, all right. But I think every single one of us would trade a Super Bowl championship over Josh Allen being the NFL MVP. In fact, the NFL MVP has not won the Super Bowl since 1999. So sorry if we're not overly concerned with this. This team has bigger goals than that. And it was funny because Peter Bukowski of Locked On Packers had very similar thoughts about Aaron Rodgers. He said, yeah, it'd be cool, but Aaron Rodgers has been the NFL MVP twice. He's only been the Super Bowl MVP one time. He said, I'd love to flip that ratio around. And so it was just kind of a good opportunity for me to gain perspective, but then also take it another step further in that both the Bills and the Packers, they lost in the conference championship games last year. We both understand what it means to go on a deep postseason run and it end in disappointment and realize that all the stuff along the way, the records, the point differential, the stats, it's all quickly forgotten if you don't win the whole damn thing. 
And so then I think back to the way that the Cardinals hosts were talking about Kyler Murray and the NFL MVP race, and it was a good reminder that, you know what? The, the Cardinals haven't paid their dues yet. They haven't paid their dues. That's a team that dropped five of their last six games last year, missed the playoffs, finished 500, and couldn't capitalize on the Hell Murray play. They thought they won the Super Bowl in week 11. They didn't. The Bills have paid their dues. AFC Championship game lost last year, playoff loss the year before. They've went through that stuff. Arizona hadn't been there yet. And I feel like that's why I have a lot of apprehension buying into teams like the Bengals or the Chargers or the Cardinals or even the Cowboys. There's something to be said for having been to those big stages, having some success, but also being humbled. And I sure as hell hope that everything that this Bills team has been through under Coach McDermott and the experiences that they've had together sets themselves up very, very well to go and capitalize on their opportunities this year. Now, one other layer to this Josh Allen NFL MVP discussion is that I don't think he's going to have those big moments, those clutch moments late in games because, let's face it, the Bills don't have a tough schedule this year. If you're going to look for quality wins, it's going to be hard to find them. They're 5-2. and two. We know who they've beat. And their toughest games the rest of the way are Tampa, Indianapolis, the Saints, and two against the New England Patriots. The rest are against the Jaguars, Falcons, Panthers, and two against the Jets. So I don't know that these big, dramatic moments are going to exist. Now, there's a chance that Josh Allen is simply the best player on the best team, and he wins it because of that, but I wonder if voters will discriminate against Josh Allen because he didn't really have the big fourth-quarter comebacks or game-winning drives or anything like that, but he just went out there and beat teams by multiple scores every week, and so that's an interesting debate to have, but as I consider the likelihood that Josh Allen is the NFL MVP this year. That's something that I think about. Oh, by the way, right now he's got the best odds to be the NFL MVP. And so there's a lot of interesting layers to that entire conversation. But that's just some thoughts that I had as I went about my week and had different conversations that came onto my mind that I wanted to share with you. Last thing that I'm going to say here in leftover thoughts is something really, really weird. But go Dolphins, go Texans, and go Washington football team. The rest of the season, we are Dolphins fans, we are Texans fans, and we are Washington football team fans. And we might become Jaguars fans, and we might become Jets fans, and we might become Panthers fans. The reason I say that is because this is going to be important stuff when it comes to tiebreakers in playoff seedings. Right now, the Bills are third in the AFC. They're behind the Raiders at number two, the Ravens at number three. All three of those teams have the same record, 5-2. and two. The reason that the Raiders are the two seed is because they are 4-1 and one in conference games and the Bills and Ravens are 4-2. and two. So you need to handle your business against AFC teams. But number two that I want to mention here under this whole 
go Dolphins, Texans, and Washington football team conversation is because the Ravens are ahead of the Bills due to strength of victory. The Bills' strength of victory right now is 2-2-5, meaning that the teams that they've beaten have a collective winning percentage of 22.5%. The Ravens are at 385, 38.5%. That's the winning percentage of the teams they've beaten. And so when you have teams like the 1 in 7 Miami Dolphins and the 1 in 7 Houston Texans on your resume of wins, that's going to hurt your strength of victory. And so we need those teams to win some games here to uh, make those wins look better and help the Bills when it comes to tiebreakers in the playoff standings. And so hopefully that made sense to you and um, you can find it in your heart to root for teams like the Dolphins and Texans and other teams that the Bills beat that have no chance of going to the playoffs. This episode of Locked On Bills is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect, a place where classmates can meet up for a study group knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and endless supplies of French fries and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team, or the away team can come to recharge. It's the place you always look forward to stopping at on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel. I love that McDonald's serves breakfast all day long. So head to your local McDonald's to refuel and reconnect. I'm loving it. I'm joined now by Kyle Trimble. He's a doctor of physical therapy. He runs bangedupbills.com. You can follow him on Twitter at bangedupbills. He joins us each week to talk about the injury situation for the Bills game. And Kyle, this list is a little bit longer than I was hoping it would be. So let's dig into it. Let's start with a couple of Bills offensive weapons that are on the report have not practiced all week. Dawson Knox, he remains as a non-participant with his hand injury but also Cole Beasley with ribs is the injury. Didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. We saw him definitely in some pain during the second half of that Dolphins game when he really kind of took things over. And so would love to start with your thoughts on both Beasley and Knox. So we're going to get uh, Beasley out of the way first. Um, he's popped up an injury report with ribs, even though he wasn't that McDermott didn't say anything about him regarding the injuries on Monday's press uh, conference, like they usually do. Uh, so he was a minor surprise, though. If you're watching the game, he had took two really hard shots, uh, one midway through the third quarter, and then one late in the fourth quarter, both to the left side. And he was slow to get up. He sat out two plays for the first time that he got hit. And then the second time he got hit, kind of walked it off and then finished up the game. This area they got hit in was either in the floating ribs or in the false ribs, which are the lower portion of the ribs down uh, close to where the abdomen opens up. If you could feel that on your own stomach. So he got hit more in the back and I'm sure it hurts. We don't know whether it's cracked ribs, whether it's just contusion, whether there's like the um, cartilage that was injured, but he's out there practicing, going through conditioning, running around, but he's not practicing with the team. Hence the do not participate designation. Uh, he's not trending in the right direction. And considering they have Isaiah McKenzie as a backup in the slot role, and we're going against the Jaguars, they might just let him rest. He, he's an older player, and um, he definitely took the hard shots, which 
he even with injections and padding, it would still hurt for him to play to go through. Uh, I don't want to say a meaningless game, but something that he can afford to sit out. Um, as for Dawson Knox, I had originally projected that he would return for this game, but he is out there also conditioning and running around. He does have padding on the uh, right hand under the glove, which was expected when he was returning back from uh, the surgery. I thought he'd be able to start catching, but he must be selling some pain or stiffness in the area. Uh, the stiffness isn't surprising since it's in the low to mid forties up here in Western New York. So it's probably a little bit slower to get up and um, warm that hand up for catching. So I'm okay with being wrong in that he can come back again next week against the jets. Um, that gives them more time to heal up and they're not in a rush to get him back because once again, the Jaguars aren't a huge threat as maybe some other teams that he would have tried to rush back for. Got a couple of offensive linemen here dealing with injuries. Uh, two starters. Spencer Brown continues to not practice with a back injury. And then John Feliciano with a calf injury. He hasn't practiced all week. I think Coach McDermott said he was week to week. And so I'm guessing if I don't feel good about either player being ready for Sunday, you probably don't either. No, I, I don't. Spencer Brown, he was doubtful going into the Dolphins game. And under Sean McDermott, they have not had a doubtful player play. And Brown continued that trend on Sunday. Um, he was do not participate all last week, but they were hopeful he could play. And then he's do not participate all this week. I highly doubt that he even gets a designation as doubtful or questionable. He's more likely going to be out and then just letting them kind of rest and recover whatever he's dealing with. Um, he was off to the side doing some conditioning, some high stepping, other activities with Dawson Knox on Wednesday. He didn't look thrilled to be out there. Now, I don't know if that was because it was cold. It was moderate temperatures uh, Wednesday, but he's from Midwest, so he should be used to this. But it might just be, hey, my back's certain. I'm doing activities that are constantly hurting my back. I don't want to do this. But that was just my interpretation of the look on his face as he's going through it there. But whatever he's dealing with, um, I would expect the team to be ultra conservative about it, especially since he appears to be one of the uh, – parts of the future that they want to move forward with. So why, why rush them through, especially when they were seeing other guys deal with back injuries um, in the past. Uh, first one comes to mind is um, the guy from Washington last year, uh, Trey Adams. He dealt with a back injury and then he had to retire him because partially, I think because of all that stuff. Anyway, um, going in John Feliciano, he's dealing with a left calf injury. He also injured this late in the game Um in the fourth quarter, uh, he seemed to like hop on his right leg and uh, hurt himself as he was trying to finish his block. And they say he's week to week. There is talks that he would go on injury reserve. I don't think it's a horrible idea because they have uh, the next three games that they could sit him out and then return him for week 13 against the Saints, or they can keep him out past that. The big thing is, do they bring him, or they put him on injury reserve, who do they bring up and then who do they cut when they want to return him? I mean, injuries could happen that could also bring him back easier after that three game stint, but he's also a guy that there's some people that think he's not doing great when he's in the lineup. So if he does sit out and they plug and play other guys such as Cody Ford or, or Ike Botker, they could do some mix and match and they've been doing all the season. So uh, I don't want to see either guy rush back and I'm okay with them sitting out until they're fully right, especially for this long stretch run. Brandon Bean continuing to prioritize offensive line depth is uh, very, very helpful here for this Bills team. 
Uh, let's finish up with any leftover thoughts that you have. And I definitely want to hear from you on Jordan Poyer. Uh, was disappointing to see him on the injury report on Thursday. Did not practice with a shoulder injury after he was fine on, on Wednesday. He didn't have any injury designation. So Poyer and anything else you might have for us before the game on Sunday. I wish I had a ton of information on Poyer. I was looking at what this could be. Um, sometimes when you see injuries happen in practice, they're limited that day and then they're do not participate the next day. But in this case, he had not had a designation on Wednesday and then was do not participate on Thursday. So I don't know exactly what he's dealing with right now. He played in every defensive snap and about half of the special team snaps on Sunday. Uh, when I was going through the film, looking at just all the injuries in general, I didn't see anything that stood out where he would have hurt his shoulder. But I would imagine if he had hurt his shoulder on Sunday that he would have been limited at some point in, during Wednesday's practice. So uh, we need more information about this. Uh, it's too soon to say whether he'll play on Sunday or not. Jacksonville is a game that they could sit him if they need to be. But he's a guy that hasn't missed a ton of games. I think back in week four was the first time he had missed a game in 60 snap or 60 starts uh, going back to when he started with the uh, Bills. So if he can play, he's going to. Uh, we just need more information first. Um, another safety that didn't show up on the injury report, but something came across earlier today was Micah Hyde. He has a split on his right hand, um, most notably on his uh, right thumb area. This is noticed by a Twitter user who tagged me um, earlier, and we're talking on Thursday, and noted during a uh, Bill's video uh, that they were giving out air fresheners. Jordan Porter was doing this. So um, he had a thumb spike a splint on his, uh, on his right hand, and then John Scott of Spectrum News had also pointed out that um, when Hyde was throwing footballs with the defensive backs on Wednesday, Hyde was tempted to grip the ball and throw it. He missed the net badly and then was blaming it on the split on his right hand because he could not grip the football. Um, it's not something that is going to limit him because any injury that is significant or could potentially cause a player to miss the game has to be reported in the injury report, but it's something worth noting in case uh, Hyde does leave with a hand designation or continues to struggle with that or we see him with a split on the hand. So something worth noting. And if he pops up on the injury report in the future, we know when this injury uh, possibly occurred, uh, though we don't know when, if it happened in the game or, or whatnot. And then the other thing that we have to be mindful of is the Jaguars, which occasionally we do get into the uh, opponent's injury reports. Uh, the only notable one is really James Robinson. He's dealing with a bruised heel. Uh, this came after he was shoved out of bounds after 14 a run. Uh, in the loss of Seattle on Sunday. I'm not too concerned about it. Urban Meyer had said that he does not need to practice in order to play uh, for Sunday. If he does not play, that only helps out the Bills. But even if he does play, I don't know that he's going to be all that limited because running backs can be more up on their toes and really try to drive forward. So I don't know that he's going to be struggling with the heel other than pain, which I'm sure that he can get through that game especially since Jacksonville has the urgency to win. So it's not a great looking injury report, but it's something that the bills can work through. And I think they can still win despite all these little nicks and acts because of the depth that they have. Yeah, it's a, it's a good feeling having the roster that Brandon Bean has assembled for weeks like this, where there's a lot of players, key players that are um, probably not going to be able to go on Sunday. So uh, we always appreciate you coming on and lending your expertise on these injuries because 
Uh, if anyone else is like me, you hear about injuries and you see the designations, but you want to know what it all means. You make that possible for us every week. So, uh, Kyle, thanks so much for your time as always. Thank you, Joe. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. If you haven't tried a Built Bar by now, you are missing out. They say it's a protein bar, but it does not taste like one. You have to try one of these amazing bars yourself to believe it. Most protein bars are chalky or waxy or just plain hard to choke down. A Built Bar is soft, covered in 100% real chocolate, and when you bite into it, you know you're eating something different. It's more of an experience, one that you'll enjoy. In fact, you'd swear you're eating a candy bar. Built Bars are low-carb, low-calorie, low-fat, low-sugar, and high in protein, so all the healthy benefits on top of just being purely delicious. And another great thing about Built Bar is that they have so many delicious flavors, including coconut, raspberry, mint brownie, salted caramel, double chocolate, cherry, coconut almond, so many great flavors. And in fact, this month, Built is coming out with a new limited-time flavor every three to four days. So check out their website often. You're not going to want to miss this. And of course, we've got a deal for you. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. It's one of my favorite times of year right now where there are so many great sporting events on TV. You've got NHL, NBA, College football is like every day of the week right now. The NFL season is in full swing, and betonline.ag remains your number one spot to bet on all your favorite sports. Head to their new updated website to sign up today, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code LOCKEDON. From basketball, football, baseball, NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and bet online is where the game starts. All right, folks, it is prediction time here on the podcast. Of course, I have five of them for you. Four will be about the game and the last one will be my prediction as to the result of the game. And so I've got some unique stuff for you this week. Number one is that the bills will gain at least 24 first downs. The Bills will have at least 24 first downs against the Jacksonville Jaguars. The most that Jacksonville has given up in a game this year is 23. And the reason I want to bring this up is because if the Bills do top 20 first downs in the game, it will tie the NFL record for consecutive games with at least 20 first downs. It will tie the record for consecutive games with at least 20 first downs. So they need 20 to tie that record, but they also need 24 to gain the most first downs that any team has against Jacksonville this year and, of course, make my prediction right. So 24 first downs for the Bills offense on Sunday is my first prediction. Number two is that a Bills cornerback will record an interception. The Bills have 11 interceptions on the season, seven by safeties, two by linebackers, one by a defensive lineman, and one by a cornerback, just one. Levi Wallace, the lone interception made by a cornerback this year. So three for Poyer, three for Hyde, one for Jaquan Johnson. That's your seven interceptions 
among safeties. Two by linebackers. Tremaine Edmonds has one. Tyler Medikavich has one. The defensive line has one. Of course, Gregory Rousseau against Kansas City. And then just one for the cornerbacks. Again, Levi Wallace. And so I think the Bills cornerbacks get their second interception of the season against Jacksonville. So it could be Levi again. Could be Taron Johnson. Could be Trey White. Could be Dane Jackson, Neal, whoever. I just feel like the Bills cornerbacks are going to get their second interception of the season. Number three, despite at least five kickoffs by the Bills, every single one of them will be touchbacks. The Bills do not see a kick return against them this week. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because Jamal Agnew is a dangerous return man for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so I think Tyler Bass and that big leg of his is going to make sure that Agnew doesn't get an opportunity. And so I'm going to kind of parlay this. I'm, I'm predicting at least five kickoff attempts and for all of them to be touchbacks because the Bills should not want anything to do with Jamal Agnew sparking that Jaguars team. Number four, the Jags are tied with the Bills for the least amount of receptions allowed to running backs on the season with 24. So the Jags defense has only given up 24 catches to running backs this year, which is tied with the Buffalo Bills for number one in the NFL. That's an average of 3.4 per game. So my prediction is that the Bills running backs on Sunday will have four or more receptions. So that's kind of a unique one for you there. I think that the Bills will continue to prioritize throwing the ball to these running backs a little bit. You know, Zach Moss, six catches last week. And um, put me down for four or more. And then lastly, the Bills win. I think the Bills do beat Jacksonville. They've proven that they take lesser competition seriously. I mean, that's happened all year long. The Bills are focused. You hear the messaging. I listen to every press conference every week. And this team is not taking for granted Jacksonville. I think they understand the target on their back. They understand that they're going to get every team's best shot. And the Bills have answered that call all season long. I think it continues against Jacksonville on Sunday. So I'm predicting a Bills win. As for my NFL draft prospects to watch this Saturday at 12 o'clock, ABC, Wake Forest against North Carolina. This is going to be a fun football game. Uh, Wake Forest is ranked in the top 10. They're undefeated, and they score tons of points. A couple of weeks ago against Army, they scored like seven touchdowns in 17 minutes of game clock. I mean, it's just crazy how fast they score. And they're going up against North Carolina, and Sam Howell, their really good quarterback that can produce a lot of points as well. And so the guy I want you to watch in this football game is North Carolina offensive lineman Josh Izidu. He plays both guard and tackle, left guard and left tackle. He plays like half the game at left guard and half the game at left tackle. So you'll have to focus in on, focus in on the left side of the line, and his number is, is 75. So that'll, that'll help you keep track of where he's at. Six foot four, 325 pounds. He's not a first-round guy, but he is a mid-round offensive line prospect that, number one, plays in the ACC, which is where we know the Bills like to draft players, has good size, he's physical, he has good versatility. I mean, he literally plays multiple positions every game on the offensive line. So you'll see him at guard and tackle. I think he's a left guard 
in the NFL, which we all know is a spot the Bills need to look to improve. And um, he's been an important player for North Carolina for a number of years uh, because of that versatility, because of his skill, and because North Carolina's had a lot of injuries on their offensive line. And he has been their mainstay, their steady presence, their top performer, and a guy that can fill in in multiple spots and allow them to get their best five on the field. And so I think his size and block temperament uh, will definitely be appealing to the Bills. And uh, check him out noon Eastern time on ABC, number 75, Josh Ezidu, offensive lineman from North Carolina. At 4 o'clock, let's watch some SEC football. SEC Network is the channel, Mississippi State against Arkansas. And the attraction here is Mississippi State cornerback Martin Emerson. He wears number one. He's six foot two, 200 pounds. He's really athletic. He's a really, really, really physical player. You're going to love watching this guy tackle. You're going to love watching him get up in the face of receivers at the line of scrimmage. And he's just a dog. He's an absolute animal in terms of being physical and competitive. And he's sticky in coverage. He's a really good athlete that's physical. And he stays connected. And um, good size as well. So there's a lot to like about Emerson. He's a potential first-round type player. Uh, definitely day two at worst. And this matchup against Arkansas is going to be a fun one. Arkansas, they, they run the football well. They throw it well. And he'll be matched up with Traylon Burks, who is this big physical receiver that they have, that they will you know throw it to all levels of the field. They'll have him run the football. He is a do-everything type receiver. In fact, he'd be worth paying attention to as well from the Bill side of things if they wanted to go with a bigger-bodied receiver that can be a mismatch for them. And so uh, Martin Emerson's the attraction, but check out Traylon Burks as well from Arkansas because he's a first-round caliber wide receiver prospect, and you know that I'm always interested in the Bills continuing to add wide receiver talent for Josh Allen, especially because I think they need to get younger at receiver as well. So Mississippi State, Martin Emerson, number one. He's the main attraction. At 7 o'clock, let's keep watching SEC football. ESPN, LSU versus Alabama. Check out Crimson Tide defensive tackle Fedarian Mathis. He wears number 48, six foot four, 312 pounds. And I've been watching this player for multiple years now at Alabama. And I think he's playing his best football right now. He's been an ascending player that is showing the ability to affect the quarterback and rush the passer from the interior but he's also an absolute tank against the run. And so if you're looking for a guy that can play one tech or three tech, can get after the quarterback, can defend the run, has good size, Mathis is going to be an appealing player. Not sure he's a first-round guy, but a day-two prospect all day long. And we know that the Bills are going to need some interior defensive line help because literally everyone after Starla Tulele and Ed Oliver on the depth chart is an expiring contract. Zimmer, Butler, and Phillips, they're all expiring contracts. You know that the Bills are going to prioritize that defensive tackle depth. And so Mathis is definitely an appealing option. And he's got a good matchup against the LSU guards. Uh, Ed Ingram's a stud at left guard. Chase and Hines is a stud at, at right guard. And so kind of another double dip opportunity here where Mathis is the main attraction, but watch Ingram. And watch Hines because I think they're really good offensive linemen that the Bills could target in the middle rounds at guard. And so another double-dip opportunity here uh, in the prospects to watch on Saturday with an eye towards the Buffalo Bills. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast, but not this week. 
Tomorrow is tailgate talk. Anthony Marino, my guest. It should be a good one, so don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed. Rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.